Hi, everyone, and welcome to this summer mini episode of Dogs Unknown. I'm Sarah Frazier, joined by fellow host Brian Burton, and we have a pretty fun topic today, I think. We are going to delve into the question of whether telling your dog no can have a place within a positive training approach. Uh, I think it's a pretty fair question. It's one we actually get asked a lot by new clients who come in who are curious how this is all going to work. And it's understandable because there's a lot of emphasis in positive training, as there should be, on trying to set your dog up to succeed, trying to help them make good or desirable choices, training in a way that they generally enjoy or want to listen to cues and allowing a lot of choice and control whenever possible so that they have the option to kind of opt in or opt out. So, you know, and those are all really good and I think important concepts, but they don't really answer the question. fully anyway. They can impart sort of over the long term, but what about those times when you need your dog to stop doing something or maybe start doing something in the now and they're not opting in or following cues or maybe they don't have those skills under their belt yet even? Mm -hmm. What, What happens and how do we handle those situations in a way that protects our dog's behavioral health and also protects the relationship that we have with them as well and kind of supports like a, a healthy relationship dynamic. So I, I don't know about you, Brian, I'm really excited to talk about this today because I think it's a really misunderstood and just maybe just fuzzy is a better word. Yeah, It's a really fuzzy question and concept that I don't think gets enough attention at a more nuanced level. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think part of that too is, you know, so much advice out there is online or in, you know, Instagram reels or TikTok videos and different things. And I actually think the intent from a lot of positive reinforcement trainers is actually good because this conversation is very nuanced mm-hmm. and it's very specific to the dog and the relationship and all of those types of things. So it's really hard to put out little sound bites for this topic. Mm-hmm. And it's nice we have a long form to do this. I'm to be perfectly honest, I'm already thinking in my head, can we even pull anything from this episode, mm-hmm. you know, for like our short form content that we actually do. But it's also like just one of the topics I think that pet owners find really, really interesting. And also I think it just helps them have a better relationship with their dog. They're much less frustrated for sure. And I think a lot of times the dogs are less frustrated too. Mm-hmm. And there's, we'll, we'll get into it, there, but there, there is a lot of nuance there and you have to be very careful, yes. you know, about how you're doing it and, and, and those types of things. And we'll get into that, but I'm, I'm really excited about it because yes, it's, it's a question that comes up a lot. I think sometimes people are almost a little nervous mm-hmm. to ask us about this. Like, how do I tell my dog no, or how do I set boundaries with my dog? Um, because of what they read online and and sort of the different uh, cultures that exist out there. So um, I'm definitely excited to have this conversation. Hopefully this one gives people a little bit more information on how to think about it and maybe feel a little bit more comfortable asking their trainer um, if this is something that they're concerned about or wanting to do. Yeah, absolutely. So we thought it'd be helpful to kind of run through some broader uh, principles or concepts to keep in mind around this whole idea of saying no we're we're saying saying no but that's sort of a you know we don't mean literally saying the word no 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 in a <laughs> in a way that uh, in a way that you know again as i said before like protects your dog's behavioral health and and really supports your relationship instead of potentially damaging it right and so i think the first point that we wanted to talk through and focus on is Whenever possible, focus on boundaries instead of rules. Yeah. And what we mean by that is boundaries are something that you set in relation to yourself and your home, and they're your responsibility to enforce. Right. 
rules are something that you impose on someone else. And in this case, it would be your dog. And you're sort of putting the responsibility on them to follow. So that emphasis on boundaries instead and placing the responsibility on yourself to be consistent in how you enforce those boundaries in a kind, gentle way can actually be part of a really happy, healthy relationship between, you know, two members in a household, in this case, you and your dog. Whereas rules, I think, can sometimes invite conflict and almost power struggles from the human point of view anyway. Why aren't you following my rules right. instead of, I need to enforce my boundary right. that I've set for myself in my home? I don't know if we want to expand on that a little bit with maybe some examples of what the difference might be for people, um, if we can think of a few of those. But I find that to be a really important one, even for myself. In daily living with our dogs, like it really helps me from a keep a, a lot more positive mindset around this. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think I, I do think that mindset is really, really important because I think you touched on it there. It's like really the goal, like this should not raise conflict mm-hmm. like in the household or the relationship. Because if it is, it's 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 going to be very counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think like that's like number one is like you know, anytime we're telling your dogs not to do, if, if, if we're giving them some sort of like, uh, like the boundaries or telling them we don't like what they're doing or whatever, if it's raising conflict or stress or any of those things, like that is not at all like the purpose mm-hmm. um, of any of this. And so I do like that boundary setting because I do think that that's, or that mindset, because I think that approach makes it a, the, I think the dogs perceive it very differently based on how we're communicating those boundaries through our body language, through our voice or whatever we're actually using. And if it's done in that way, then, you know, it's, it can be really helpful. But I, but I think that's like a key thing here. And this is where a lot of this gets into nuance and things we talk about with clients with this is like, like number one is if it's raising conflict, you have to stop Mm -hmm. because it will make things worse. Almost certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, But the good thing is most of the time that's not going to happen, but I think it's an important point to know to have yeah and maybe that gets into one of the later points too about not confusing boundary setting with with punishment yeah exactly right we're not out to sort of punish behaviors no. we're just setting nice clear boundaries about how we'd like our our house to run and you know how we'd like sort of interaction with ourselves and it might be something as simple as if we look at like when we come into the door uh, come in our front door and our dogs are really excited to see us and we might say, if it was a rule, we might say, you are not allowed to jump on me. Right. Right. Responsibility on the dog. Keep your paws on the floor. Right. Right. And there would be positive ways to train this. And there are ways you could try to punish this behavior or discourage it. Boundary setting might be, I need space when I come in the door. So I need this entryway clear. Right. Right. And so what that might look like for you with your dog is, I mean, it might be simple, something as simple as you have gates up, but it might be if you come into that space, when I come in the door, I'm going to pick up your little house leash and guide you over to your bed and ask you to stay and wait there. And you get off, I'm going to put you right back again. Right. Right. Assuming you've done some work and taught that skill. But like, that would be to me an example of maybe a boundary that you've set. I want space when I come in the door so that I can put the bags down and not trip over you and all that kind of stuff versus you're not allowed to jump on me when I come in the door. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes total sense. So that, that focus on boundaries versus rules, I have found personally really helpful. And I think it's been helpful for a lot of clients as well. One of the other ones, the second point that we kind of want to go into here in this, (laughs) this is a little silly, but 
I think helpful is if we think about the whole landscape or blueprint of your relationship with your dog and all your interactions with your dog, if we think of it as a house, then we can think of the proverbial no as the bathroom, <laughs> the bathroom in your house. It's a, it can be truthfully a really necessary part of the blueprint, right? To like have a functioning house right. or a functioning relationship. It can be a little bit uncomfortable to live in a house that had no bathroom. Right. Right. But it should take up only a very small footprint of your entire relationship. Right. Right. Like, I don't think anyone would want to live in a home that has like a toilet next to the stove and maybe one next to the couch. And like, maybe there's a tub by the entryway. Like, that would get a little weird <laughs> and yeah. unpleasant for everyone. Right. right. Like, visitors, the people who live there, just, just a little uncomfortable. So think about no in that way. Right. Like, this gentle boundary setting can be really important. It should make up a pretty small percentage of your, a very small percentage very small. of your overall relationship with your dog. And we can, well, I think we'll talk a little bit more in one of the later points about what those other elements mm -hmm. of the relationship should focus on so that it can be a small footprint yep. within the house that is your relationship. <laughs> I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Brian, but I do find it to be a helpful analogy if a weird one. Yeah. I mean, it's a little weird, but it definitely works. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And I think that this is something too, where honestly, I think for me, most of the time, if I have these conversations with clients, it tends to happen a little later in the relationship. Like it mm -hmm. doesn't always happen out of the gate because, and we'll talk a little bit more about like, when is it fair to do this? What do we have to teach them? All, all of those types of things. But I think the thing is, especially someone who is sort of new to doing training and behavior stuff with their dog, it's, it's really easy to over rely on the bathrooms. Like it's really mm -hmm. easy to build a house with a lot of bathrooms mm -hmm. that isn't really effective either. But I do think one of the reasons why it's a good analogy is I do think with my clients, when I work with them, it's, it, this is a topic I'm usually not going to do right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why is I've noticed like, you know, m many years ago, like if I focused on this too early, I would end up with a house full of bathrooms. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's not because people are, are trying to be mean to their dog or anything. It's just, it's really easy to just kind of like be saying no to everything and trying to control behavior that way. And it's really not going to get you to where you want to go. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the things that need to be in place, I think, before we start adding this in. But I think that point about like the bathrooms and it being a small portion of the actual way we're communicating and living with our dog is so, so important. And it, it can be really hard to see, I think, as a person sort of new to training and behavior mm -hmm. and to dogs. And so that's why I like to focus more on, we'll talk about this more about like what, what we're teaching, yeah. when is it appropriate to actually set these boundaries and then lead into it? Because if you go into it too quickly, yeah, like no, nobody wants a house, full, a house full of bathrooms. So, um, and that's one of the things you have to be really careful of. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up and sort of emphasized and drove that point home because it can't, I don't think it can be overemphasized. And I think it's something that, truthfully, it's one of the reasons why I know when we talked about earlier on, like why often this isn't 
talked about a ton when you look at like general sort of positive training information, because it's just so easy to want to, you know, take it and kind of run with it a little too enthusiastically. Um, And that doesn't mean in a harsh way or in like an overly punitive way, but just. um, Well, I mean, it seems easier, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, like teaching stuff, like teaching a dog to do the stuff we want to do takes effort. Mm -hmm. And especially if there's behaviors that are sort of frustrating or annoying. Yeah. It's a much easier uh, thing to reach for because it's so easily accessible, like, yeah. you know, and, and, and so, yeah, so, I mean, I think that's where it comes from a lot of times. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, I mean, this is important, you know, with people and with people relationships too, but even more so, I think when we're dealing with a different species mm-hmm. that doesn't communicate through vocabulary and those types of things that it's really easy for that to not go the way we want it to go. Yeah. Yep. 100% agree. So I think that leads us into, you know, I think this next point will serve kind of a dual purpose here. One is to help us explore a little bit more. Uh, Brian, what you referenced was like starting to kind of walk through like, when and how is it fair to do this? But I think the other point before we get into that is just how important it is to learn from the nose, right? Like if you're having to set a boundary over and over again, it's really important to think about why, and it's not fair to blame it on some sort of like internal character defect of your dog, right? I think it's like, that's a really important piece. It's not like, oh, he's just a rotten dog. He might be like an anxious dog or, you know, there Mm -hmm. might be other things playing into it that we'll talk about, but it's really important to learn from the nose. If you're having to do something over and over and over again, and I don't mean like you set a boundary three times and you're done, but that's not a, not a reality either. But it's important to really examine, hey, what else can I do here to help provide more clarity and to have this be more effective or to have it be something that's easier for my dog to understand and sort of agree with, right? So one of the things that, uh, there's other ones that are really important, but one of the simplest ones to ask with the, if you find yourself sort of repeatedly setting a boundary is just, are you being consistent? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, are you consistently responding in the same way, you know, with the same demeanor every time? Or is it like 80% of the time I do or 60% of the time I do? Because if that's the case, it can be really hard for the dog to understand, is this really a a boundary or is it just, you know, something that happens sometimes. So I, and I say that with the caveat that we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other very important things to consider so that you don't just, we're not suggesting, Hey, if your dog's not following your boundaries, it's just because you're not being consistent. Right. Right. Cause like there are a lot of other very important things to consider, but it is one to ask yourself and be honest about. Yeah, it is. And it's also, I think this is also important too, especially when you get into households with multiple people. That like, is that boundary consistent across members of the family? Because if not, it's the behavior's not going to be consistent. And it's not fair to expect the dog to know when the rule, like when the boundary's on, when the boundary's off, who to do it with, who, like who not to do it with. And it's, uh, and I would say best case scenario there, some dogs will figure out, well, I do it this way with this person and that way with that person, but mm-hmm. there still seems to be an overall expectation of like, well, you should do it the same with every person, but that's, that's the best case scenario in that situation. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you see, you know, it's like that. And like the example I can think of with that is like, 
like with the jumping up example, because mm-hmm. like uh, I was visiting a family member this weekend and uh, like a German short hair pointer puppy, lovely puppy is great, by the way. And the, and the jumping up was actually really good for German short hair pointers I actually did really good. But mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, we kind of like have, you know, goal, maybe not, not to have him jump up so much. And then he came over and as he was telling me, he invited the dog over to give him a big hug on top of his shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it's sort of like, you know, and it's like, that's fine. Like if that's what you want your dog to do, and we know that they, that they might jump up sometimes because maybe those boundaries aren't clear, that's fine. But I think it then is just being realistic about like, okay, so what, what are we actually teaching the dog? And if we know like that means they are going to jump up sometimes and they're going to jump up sometimes if right. you want to live with that, like there's no judgment about it. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that we actually want to really reduce as much as we can then that boundary has to be really consistent and i know like you can teach dogs to do it on cue and different things and, but that gets a little bit more complicated mm-hmm. but i think it's just again like it's it's not just like when you come in through the door it's like all kinds of different situations with that jumping up and yep. how consistent is it being and is it being consistent across the whole family yep yep very good point um i think one of the other things to ask is is the boundary that you're trying to set fair yeah. This is a little bit of a trickier question sometimes, but is it fair based on your dog's behavior profile, based on their health status, based on their learning background? You know, like say we have a dog who that same example coming in the door and you want that boundary of setting space at the door, but maybe you have a 10 week old puppy and they really haven't started to learn skills yet. And they're a 10 week old puppy. Well, it's not really fair as part of that boundary for you to expect them to, on cue, you know, run 30 feet away to their bed and stay there for seven minutes. Right. Because they just can't do that yet. Right. Like we haven't taught them that and they don't really probably have the self, self-control to do it for that long at that age. Mm-hmm. So is it fair? You know, another example I'm trying to think of like related to health status might be something like. Yeah. So another example would just be dogs that are, you know, maybe have like some emotional challenges mm-hmm. around certain things. So like with someone coming in and jumping, if it's not just like they're just excited, like they're actually nervous or angry or like they're being aggressive with someone coming in through the door. At that point, there's a whole lot of work we have to do to get the dog way more comfortable in those situations before we ever even think about adding in a boundary. And I think one of the tough things about mm-hmm. that one is, is like, those are the situations where people want to add boundaries the quickest. Yes. Right. Because, because they have safety concerns. It's, you know, it's, it's annoying. It can feel embarrassing, all of those types of things. But a dog who's really just emotionally not really, they're not really able to learn mm-hmm. when they're in those. So like, what do we have to do to actually allow them to feel comfortable? And whether like, that's like they're gated in another room where they can kind of see the entrance from like a far place away, or maybe they're in a pen where they get like their Kong when people come in, like there's all kinds of different things we can do where we create that space for them, help them feel more comfortable. And then as they get further and that situation becomes less and less and less stressful, there might be things that we can do to, you know, to add in some boundaries and things. But I think like that's one where it's, especially when we have this conversation and there's a dog who maybe has like some um, behavior modification goals, mm-hmm. like where those boundaries are set, a lot of times can't be set in the situation where they're actually being triggered and acting aggressive Absolutely. because one, it's probably not going to work. And two, it could really backfire yeah. as well in those situations. Yep. Yeah. And I, but to your point, I know that's like often the, the place where people feel they would need to add them the most. Yes. 
impart some information of like, I'm, I'm making it not an, op- like, it's not an option for you to approach and charge at this guest. Right. When really it's like, well, it's not an option, but not because they're like mentally restraining themselves somehow, just because we've set up the environment in a way that's, yep. you know, makes it oh, easy for them. Like, it's not a physical option. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, it's emotionally, we're just trying to help them cope with the situation and feel a whole lot better about it. Yep. Um, so I really like that example. I think some other things to look at when we're saying is a boundary that we're trying to set fair is things like, are your dog's wellness needs being met? Like, are they getting enough exercise and enrichment and sleep and things like that? And this can, can come down to things like, you know, again, this is a, not to revisit the jumping one over and over again, but I think it's a valid one as if it's like, say if your dog spends long days home alone, and they don't get a lot of exercise and they're a really young, energetic dog. And you are like, oh, I've been trying to set this boundary at the door for, you know, seven months. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing every time and it's just not working. Like they're so over the top excited. Well, it might be like, it may be important to revisit and look at like, well, maybe I just don't have the capability to help, you know, follow through on that boundary because they just have so much pent up energy and need for a kind of connection that we need to meet those needs first. And then all of a sudden the excitement at the door and setting that boundary around, Hey, I just need some space when I come in all of a sudden becomes so much easier to follow through on and enforce. So I think that's, that's an important one is looking at sort of are those wellness needs being met. And then I think it's also, and this is where this is the the information or the advice I think that usually is given within a positive training framework. And it is a such important advice, but this is if you find yourself setting a boundary over and over again, or if you are just thinking about what boundaries are important to you, asking the question, what skills could we teach our dog to help the situation become more manageable for both of you? Yes. Yes. Right. Like what could they do instead? What could I ask them to do instead? Instead of just you know, interrupting and redirecting what I don't want them to do, right? Stay clear of the doorway. Can I teach them stay clear of the doorway and go hang out on your bed while I come in and I'll reward you for that. So identifying those alternate skills is so valuable and it's so helpful. I think less frustrating and way more clear for the dog and the person in the relationship. Yeah, it is. And I would say, honestly, I would say like 99% of the time, or if I'm talking about this, it's usually like, what are we teaching the dog to do in those situations? Mm -hmm. I would say like the vast, vast majority of situations, like, hey, what are we teaching the dog to do? And there's two reasons for that. One is we want the dog to know what to do instead. So if we are interrupting or redirecting, what do we want them to actually do instead? And we probably might need to do some work over you know, a week or two or three weeks to teach some sort of skill that we want them to do. And then the other thing too, I find it, it, it also enables owners to be in that mindset that, hey, like this boundary that I'm setting is really to kind of get you and reset you to what I want you to actually yes. do, as opposed to just trying to like interrupt or stop the behavior. Again, that's sort of like the boundary is not a punishment. The boundary is not a punishment. And I think that's like the tough thing with this a lot of times, like that nuance of that mm-hmm. is so hard to put like in little clips or like little things. And it's like, and I, but I also think that kind of gets lost in translation that we're just redirecting right. or we're just um, interrupting when really it's like, yeah, we are sort of interrupting, redirecting, but we're, we're doing it to a specific thing 
that we want them to do. And that thing, usually in some way, we want to reinforce that, especially in the beginning. So mm-hmm. that becomes more and more the norm and it becomes easier and easier and easier to set that boundary where hopefully you don't have to do it as much anymore. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I did want to say too, like, I think mm-hmm. the other thing is like, yeah, if you feel like you're constantly setting a boundary and you feel like either your voice is escalating mm-hmm. or, you know, you're doing those types of things and you need to go back to the drawing board because like that's yes. not the point of this. Absolutely. One thing that was coming to mind is an example not to that I think might be helpful to run through with all the sort of the factors that we just brought up and maybe with one last one before I bring up the example. Mm-hmm. I think one other one tied into what you're saying about the vast majority of what you do a lot of times is teaching the dog what to do in a certain situation and i would say coupled as part of that is also making the environment work for you and the dog yes while they're learning and truthfully also after they're learning yes so using things like gates or or like if your dog barks out the window and you generally enjoy a relatively quiet home like using things like window film to block vision like make sure the environment's not working against you against you, and is actually working for you. I think that's another huge piece too. Yeah, like it, it is. Like I, I would agree with you. The, 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 and, and in some ways, the, envir- the environmental piece is, I think, sometimes more important than the actual training piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're both like kind of equally important, but like there's sometimes like none of that would work unless the environment was set yeah. up appropriately. And it's generally low effort, very high yeah. impact. Like for example, like one of the ones that's most common or one of the most common ones is like um, dogs maybe that, the owner doesn't want them on the couch. Um, mm-hmm. And it either can be because they just don't want them up on the couch and that's fine. And just for like, we don't care if dogs are let up on the couch or not. Like our, no, some of our dogs are. Some of maybe are. someone has like, you know, they're allowed on the cozy armchair, but they're not allowed on like the beige sofa or yes, something like that. Yeah. Or they have a dog who resource guards the couch mm-hmm. is probably one of the most common ones that I deal with just because, mm-hmm. you know, we mostly do behavior cases at this point. And even just like some sort of like, you know, teaching like an off, you mm-hmm. and so like for me like the two big things was like like the leash the dog wears a leash around the house for two or three months when you're home mm-hmm. and there's treat jars around that are easily accessible to the human but not to the dog so mm-hmm. it's so we teach like off and if they you know hop off we go over and get them a reward if they don't hop off we just pick up the leash at the very far end gently guide them off still reward them mm-hmm. But like having the leash on gives a way like to ask once and sort of set that, again, that boundary in a non, like mm-hmm. no conflict. Hey, I'm going to ask once, like, let's go or off in a very calm voice. If they don't hop off, we can pick up that leash and sort of guide them off because we don't want people reaching in for the collar. Mm-hmm. We don't want people trying to coax them off or bribe them off with food. Cause we have like lots of food reach in, in a hand and reach in a hand. Yeah. So it's like, if I need, if I need to get you off in a way that's safe, we have, and sometimes I have people use like a really lightweight eight or 10 foot leash that they're dragging around the house. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to grab off and then they can go over and reward from the tree chair and that's when we're like usually within days they can say off and that dog is like hopping off mm-hmm. and, and getting the food but like if it was just the leash or if it was right. just the food i don't think it would work nearly as well right yeah agreed. you know what i mean absolutely and i think just important to caveat with people if you have a dog who has some is showing some aggression around furniture or couch or all that kind of stuff certainly this isn't a substitute for like you know, individual sort of coaching or guidance because we don't have the full history on your dog. But I think it's a helpful example of ways to use environmental setup and design in conjunction with some skill teaching to be really impactful. Um, So I really like that a lot. And and the other, well, and the other example with that too, sometimes with it is like, if you have a dog who's small enough, sometimes you can like block them from hopping up on the, on the couch and something too. So something like that's a way where you don't even have to really teach off. Like we just set up the environment Mm -hmm. where they can't get up anymore. Yeah. You know? Yep. For sure. 
Um, one of the other examples that I wonder if would be kind of helpful for people to work through, and I think this is one that comes up a lot too, where people feel it's really important to like set a boundary or make it clear that the dog understands what no means. Like for me, anyway, I've had this come up a lot with clients is dogs who either puppies or like adolescent dogs who are quite mouthy, mm-hmm. right? Like bitey, mouthy at the owner. And, and oftentimes, you know, these owners will be told maybe initially, or they read online, like redirect them to a toy, redirect them to another activity. And especially for some of the older dogs and and if they're quite mm, persistent Mm -hmm. about the behavior, you know, that can work. It can create some really icky behavior chains or the dog has something else in mind with the sort of biting mouthing and the toy is just ineffective. Yeah. You know? And so I think that this is one of those situations, but where also if we approach this as I'm going to punish my dog and make sure they know that it's a bad idea to bite me and you introduce conflict into this, yeah. this that's one of those situations where this can escalate to a whole other situation, oh, yeah. right? And we can really do some damage to the relationship and we can create some other risks in terms of even if the dog stops displaying that behavior, maybe with the owner. You're almost certainly going to increase anxiety. In most of those cases. Yeah. And they'll often be just as likely to show that behavior with other people, all that kind of stuff. So, if not more. Right. So I think this is one of those situations where it's like, how do we gently set a boundary while also asking the question and ticking off the boxes of what else might be going on and what else can I teach my dog to reduce the occurrence of this behavior in the first place, right? Like, I think the focus has to be on how do we reduce how often this is happening and then how can I gently non-confrontationally set a boundary when it does, yep. right? And so with the mouthing one, you know, I think like, and again, every dog is different. This isn't to be taken as a recipe, mm-hmm. but I think it is looking at things like, you know, are there certain situations when it happens that you can identify where you're like, my dog wasn't exercised as well, or maybe it was days where they had a really stimulating day and there was too much going on. So they're more likely to do it because they're like, I don't know, low on self-control and maybe their stress levels raised. Like maybe they're more likely to do it after daycare. Maybe they're less likely to do it after daycare. You know, looking at things like that. I think also looking at things like, you know, or are they getting enough sleep, all that kind of stuff? Are they getting enough like mental stimulation? Is someone actually potentially being inconsistent about this behavior and maybe inviting it as like a way to play? Mm -hmm. And is that confusing? How is the dog feeling? So do we think this is actually maybe a little bit more of an anxiety-driven behavior or over-arousal or whatnot? And and being mindful of that and saying, well, what skills could we teach this dog to help them settle when we think the behavior might be more likely to happen, right? Like at those mm-hmm. times, so something like a, a nice relaxed, like settle in a down or settle in a mat, things like that can often be really helpful. And saying taking all that into account, right? We've like maybe looked at exercise. We've maybe upped enrichment and mental stimulation in an appropriate way. We've said, is my dog actually stressed or anxious or like anxious or frustrated in these situations? And if so, are there ways we can alleviate that? And that usually involves um, bringing a trainer or behavior consultant in to kind of help you parse through that a little bit. Um, starting to teach those skills so that then when you get to the point of, and when it happens, what do I do in the moment? Mm-hmm. That can be something as simple as for some dogs, again, if they're wearing a really lightweight house leash, I really gently guide you away from me. Like you don't have physical access to me. And I really calmly direct you to your bed or I really calmly put you behind a gate. 
Yes. Right. Like, and just, and, and we're relying again on some environmental management there to help us set that boundary in a way that doesn't involve clapping, shouting, leaning over, maybe using something that's like physically uncomfortable, like, I don't know, like knee, kneeing them, right? That used to be a thing, yeah. right? Right. So it's like, we can still set a boundary in the moment, but most of the focus should be on how do I reduce this, the occurrence of this in the first place? Yeah. I know that was a little long winded, but I know it's yeah. something that really makes people feel like it's important to set this boundary with my dog. Yeah. Because I want, I, I don't want them biting or, or mouthing at me. It scares a lot of people and understandable. Yeah. And it, well, and I, I think what's important about this too, and, and I guess, you know, a lot of this is terminology too, but like, mm-hmm. I, I do feel like to me, like, and I will say, if you do have a dog who's mouthing you or like, you know, that th- those little house leashes or house, mm-hmm. you know, drag lines, we call them whatever, like lightweight, again, n- never leave them on your dog when you're not there, but when you're home, wow, has, does that mm-hmm. make a big difference for a lot of dogs? In this example, with the mouthing, whether it's a puppy or an adolescent dog that you just adopted. Yeah. And like, thank you, Brian, for I'm glad. I think the terminology piece before you share the rest of this is just how important it is to clarify what we mean by mouthing. Like we're not necessarily talking, we're, we're not, no. we're not talking about a dog who is like, snapping biting in response to say you like trying to take something away or trying to move them off furniture or trying to pet them or things like that it's those dogs who get like excited and over aroused and they're like nippy mouthy yeah which can still hurt 100 percent. often like at pant legs or at arms things like that like it's that type of behavior that we're talking about here yeah and it hurts and it can be scary absolutely um it can happen a lot with kids in the household too especially with puppies Mm -hmm. um but I think the thing, like one of the reasons why I like that or why like this boundary setting or, you know, boundary setting or the environmental setup or whatever we're actually doing is because if it allows us to remain calm and being able to direct them to the activity we want to do, that is like, not only is it going to be more effective, I also really strongly feel for a lot of dogs, like over time, it's not going to work right away. It does have like a calming effect on the dog just because like you're very predictable in what you do. It's not scary, but you're also not in a situation because if you're just getting nipped and bit, like mm-hmm. you might yell because it hurts or you might, or even like, you know, some people say, just say ow really loud. Mm-hmm. Like not, I, not one of my no. favorite things to do. I, it's, it's, um, but having a way to sort of like, oh, like I can, I can still control the situation in a way that's going to be safe for us and helpful for you. But in a way where like, I don't have to feel nervous or afraid mm-hmm. and the dog doesn't have to feel nervous or afraid either. Mm-hmm. And I, and like, I, I do think when, when, when some owners, when they actually get that sort of guidance on how to do that, it relieves a lot of stress for the human yeah. to be able to do that in a way and communicate that in a way that's not stressful for anybody. Yeah. And that sometimes is like the biggest things like we give people. Because like they might have already been doing all the other stuff and like teaching or trying to redirect, but they didn't know how to manage the dog or set those boundaries in that situation. Mm -hmm. And again, the key thing here, and and you'll notice it's like about being calm, being able to get them to do what we want them to do, not using it as a punishment. And I think I know we're saying that over and over and over again, because it's really easy for this to be taken out of context. And and that's really not what we're aiming to do. And I think that's, I'm glad you brought that up again. Like, I think we can't, there's, we we almost can't say that too many times, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, um, I think also related to that, and you started to, t- to touch on this as well, is when we talk about things like maybe using a leash to really gently guide a dog away from, 
you know, a couch or behind a gate or things like that. Um, or maybe using really gentle sort of body blocking and like, say, if you have a dog who's trying to, I don't know, like hop up and steal something off the counter, you know, if you gently sort of step between them and the table and just kind of stand there, whoops, not an option, bud, (laughs) you know? So like, sorry, it's just not an option is the importance of body language and how you carry yourself Yes, is like, can make all the difference mm-hmm. in how your dog perceives the situation and whether they feel safe. A hundred percent. Because they need to feel safe when you're setting a boundary or else this is not, it's not helpful, right? Yeah. It's going to damage your relationship. It's going to increase anxiety. Like it's going to put them in a situation where like, this is not the outcome that you're looking for. And in order to help them feel safe when you're setting boundaries, being really mindful about your posture, like not leaning over, nice, like back, back straight, mm-hmm. right? When you're doing this type of stuff, not doing a lot of direct eye contact, right. you know, if you're moving, moving in a way that's not super fast and abrupt, but also not, you know, Creepy. odd, slow motion, you know, like someone lurking in a corner, just right. like calm, purposeful, relaxed. And if, again, if you're getting, you, if you feel you're doing that and you're seeing signs from your dog that they're either nervous or they're maybe becoming frustrated or even aggressive, like you need to stop what you're doing and contact a behavior consultant for help. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I'll add to that too is like, there's sort of, there's sort of three types of owners I find that when it comes to boundary setting Mm -hmm. that we work with. And like one, there are some people who just have difficulty setting boundaries for whatever reason. Um, And that's okay. There are people where that comes a little bit more naturally to them and they sort of slot right in there. And then there, that then there are folks who are, you know, just because of what they've learned previously with previous dogs, where they can just be like a little too, too far on the, a, a lot of bathrooms in the house, a lot, essentially. a lot of bathrooms in the house. And a lot of focus on they need to know it's wrong. Right. Exactly. And I think the nice thing when you actually get into this and teach for all three groups, mm-hmm. I think like it really, well, the, the one in the middle kind of naturally do that, that's usually just giving them information and they can kind of go on their way. But mm-hmm. for, for, for the other two, the ones where like, that's a, a harder thing to step into or uh, for people where it's like they have the too many bathrooms. I think like the nice thing with this is like, it really, for, for the people who have a hard time setting boundaries, I think I, what, what I've noticed is with a lot of those owners is I do think they think that setting boundaries means you have to be uh, like really assertive or uh, I wouldn't say aggressive, but you know what I mean? Like you have to, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm giving you a boundary and that's really not what it's about. Mm-mm. It's like, I'm setting a boundary now. For myself. <laughs> For myself. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Right. And I think it, it can really help some people like do that in a way where they feel comfortable doing it, where they know it's not going to ruin that relationship with the dog, or they might've had bad experience with some other trainers where they mm-hmm. were asked to do some not very nice things yeah. to, uh, to, to their dogs. And so that can kind of get lost. And then for the, the people on the other end where there's a lot of bathrooms in the house, mm-hmm. I think it still helps. Like, yes, there are, there is boundary setting that is important, but that's where we have to really look at, like you said, like the body language and what we're doing and when we're doing it. And also, again, it's not about our dog knowing what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think is a, a big thing. So I think the reason why I want to bring that up is because if you're listening to this and you feel like you're in one of those two groups, it's mm-hmm. like it's it's not uncommon, actually. Not at all. Um, it's it's And there's no judgment about it. But I think like that focus on how we set those boundaries appropriately can be really helpful for you, regardless of which side you fall on. Yep. Yeah. Well said. I'm glad you brought that up. So I, I think I think truthfully, those were some of the main I think I think those were the main points that we had kind of 
you know, very high level jotted down to mm-hmm. talk about other, is there anything else, Brian, that you had wanted to, to touch on related to this? I don't think so. I think, you know, um, the, 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 the one thing that will come up sometimes too, is like, what do I say when I'm setting a boundary? Oh yes. I love, I'm glad that you right. r- roped this in. Yes. Yeah. And so, cause a lot of time people say like, do I say no? Right. Or do I interrupt them? And if you've worked potentially with like another, with like a, another trainer or you've read things online, you've probably read like, don't say no. Right. Like there's some sort of this, like, I don't know, cloud around the word. And I get it because it comes with a lot of baggage. Yeah, it does. You know? And so, I'll, yeah, you, yeah. you go and then I'll dive in. <laughs> but personally, I do use one. So for me. Like, like a word. Oh, yeah. I use a word and we use nope. Mm-hmm. Right. N-O-P-E. We don't use no. Because the thing with no is it's really easy to escalate the word no. Mm-hmm. And you can just repeat it over and over again. Like no, no. And it can be really easy to ramp up. It comes with so much baggage. So much baggage. So much experience of like. On the be, human side yeah. and even on the dog side. But nope is kind of funny because it's sort of like nope. Like you can't yell it. No. Nope. Nope. Like you, it just. Nope. It, Right. <laughs> That's kind of the worst you can do. Yeah. And so, and I think there's also, I think for a lot of the owners that, you know, I've worked with, like, nope, people just, it, it brings a different set of body language and emotional content behind how we say yeah. it. It's still quite definitive, but it's sort of your shoulders can drop while you say it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think like one of the things with that is like, that's not what's going to make it work. No. Right. But I do find for, at least for my dogs or, you know, do- dogs that we work with, like, like, nope, it just means like, I'm interrupting you right now and I'm going to redirect you and do something else. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's just sort of, it's sort what, of a heads and, up. And what I'm redirecting you from isn't currently an option to you. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it said once and then, and then they're redirected. So it's never repeated like multiple mm-hmm. times or anything. But for me personally, it's just sort of like, I just feel like that's like a fair thing to do. Like I'm just communicating that like, Hey, I, I need you to do something else right now yeah. and I'm going to direct you to it. And I think it also takes into account, like we're a really verbal species, right? Right. So like we have to sort of think about the human need inside of things and what helps us be consistent. Yes. And for me, having just sort of a consistent word or phrase that I use is helpful yep. in setting consistent boundaries. Yes. And again, like it's not, we're doing that often, No. but when they come up and I use nope, absolutely. And I really like it. And you don't have to use any certain no, word, don't. but that's just, we're just sharing what has worked for us historically. And I think the other, it doesn't have to be a single word. No. I think the other sort of phrase I use sometimes is like, sorry, not an option, right? Like I really do is like, sorry, bud, not an option right now. And I just say it like conversationally. And I don't think I set out on purpose doing it. I just found myself saying it. Yeah. Right. Sorry, bud, not an option. And again, it's like, you're not in trouble. This is not a punishment. It's just not an option. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, that's all. Yeah. And just sort of based on some of the comments of some of the or previous Instagram reels. Yes, we understand that they don't understand the language of that, but it, but it's like the cadence and the and the tone and how it's said all together. Yeah. Like you, you you can put a few words together as long as you're consistent with mm-hmm. it, your dog will recognize it. And I, but I think it's important. Like pick something that feels good to you. It brings you it's like that. it brings about the right sort of demeanor and body language and tone and everything else for me. Yeah. That I know the dogs will respond to well. It's not about actually telling them, hey, not, not, yeah. not an option right now. Yeah. And, and one yeah. of the exceptions to recommend, you know, having term, if, if there are sometimes if there are owners who are talk too much, mm-hmm. 
then sometimes I have them not say, I, I recommend yeah. that we actually remove a lot of that communication because yeah. you actually don't need, and like you can no. just do it. You Like you could actually go completely silent mm-hmm. and do it. And for some people that actually works better or yeah. feels more comfortable, like you don't even have to say anything. It's like, okay, but this is what I'm going to do. Like I'm going right. to pick up your leash and guide you behind the gate or, you know, whatever it is, but you actually don't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, and the reason why I want to bring that up is like, again, like it's not really about what we're saying. Right. Like it's just how do we get ourselves in a mindset that's going to, you know, help the dog understand what, what, what we want them to do and picking a way that I think an owner feels comfortable with and can be consistent with mm-hmm. is really the most important thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I th- I'm really, I'm really, really glad you brought that up. Because I think it's something people wonder about mm-hmm. and something that, again, sort of feels fuzzy or that you'll get a lot of different answers on. And and I'm not saying that what we're saying here is the only or is, is right or anything else, just sort of like what we found works for us and has worked for a lot of clients to put them in that mindset where you can still maintain that role as like a safe, predictable, helpful leader. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that safe, predictable, helpful is really important. And it's also too, like, I think just on that point, like, you know, as long as we're not, you know, again, we're not talking about punishment here. We're talking about communication. Like, I really think this, and this is like, if you're working, you know, with with one of our trainers or someone else, like, like, it's okay to talk about, like, I don't feel comfortable, like doing it this way. Mm -hmm. Right. Or is it okay for me to use a no reward marker or like a, or or like a, can I, can I use a nope or whatever? And like, cause the thing is, is like, there are so many ways to do this in like a really fair, healthy way. And mm-hmm. what your relationship with your trainer, you should be able to kind of have those discussions. And they are going to tell you sometimes like, Hey, like, I don't recommend that. Like, right. like I wouldn't recommend setting, like just, let's just set a boundary when the dog charges the door, you know, charges the mailman. Cause like, they're not ready for that yet. We have to do other things. So like, but there's a lot of other times where it's, we, th- there's a lot of, there's a lot of different options on the table to do this, mm-hmm. to set healthy boundaries. So there's no one size fits all yeah. on this for sure. Yep. Yeah. Good. Well, hopefully this was a helpful conversation for people. I, I think, well, I'll speak for me, Brian, and you can say whether you like, we're truthfully a little bit nervous yeah, about having this conversation because it's nuanced and because we wouldn't want anyone to walk away and be like, oh, good. I'm going to like. Yeah. Instinct tells me to punish dogs. Right. You know, which I think we've emphasized <laughs> enough on here over and over again that that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, this is like the fifth time we've said it now this episode. Yeah. You know, but just sort of where does. So I guess to sort of to circle back and answer that original question, like does telling your dog no have a place within a positive training approach? It can. It should be a pretty small place and there's work to be done all around it in terms of the foundation of your house and making sure there's a nice living room and a bedroom and a kitchen and all that good stuff. So you don't just have an outhouse. Yeah. Nobody wants to live in an outhouse. No. On that lovely note, (laughs) sign off and see you next time. Thanks, everybody. See ya.